Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Oh, goodness. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning, Tamara. How are you doing? Oh, shit is crazy. Shit is crazy. (laughs) I agree. It's crazy all over. Although, I think we both look incredibly fetching today. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, you are the most stylish pregnant woman. (laughs) I'm sorry, let me read. You are the most stylish woman who is pregnant. Get out. (laughs) Yes. I was admiring Tamara's tunic style. It's basically a burlap sack. But it's got nice stitching and detail, <laughs> yeah. and it looks really good on you. <laughs> Listen, Amazon. Amazon.com, and then my mother keep me in fun clothes. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah shit is crazy right now. Um, this has nothing to do with the episode that we're about to do, except the fact that we, too, are humans. <laughs> and right. we are going through uh, quite a bit in our own lives right now. Mm-hmm. And it's feeling, I think, overwhelming for us both. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we are just trying to both deal with our own situations. You know, good things. Yeah, good Positive changes. change, but just a lot. And I think that what's really uh, frustrating is that any change, whether it's positive or negative, can feel really hard. Um, And a lot of times change just in itself can be traumatic. And like learning to try and deal with it. And um, I keep saying I'm riding the waves of change. I'm just trying to be that little rowboat on top of the the waves just like you know things are going to change but it's, it doesn't have to touch the center of who I am right i think that's i think that's really good one of the one of the mantras i've been using lately is i stop and ask myself the question does this rise to the level of a problem <laughs> does yeah. it really rise to the level uh-huh. of a problem uh-huh. because to me, a problem is something that, a real problem, is something that you don't know how to solve. Mm-hmm. Or you might know how to solve, but you're not able. Mm-hmm. You're not able to solve it in whole or in part mm-hmm. in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been saying to myself a lot lately. And the way that I, the way that my brain works, you know, I've been told almost my entire life, adult life, you you think too much. You think too much. (laughs) You're overthinking it. You think too much. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first job that I ever had where nobody ever said that to me because that very characteristic made me perfect mm-hmm. because I, I was an analyst. Uh-huh. I was an analyst. So uh-huh. no one ever said that to me in that role because that's exactly what they needed me to do. Right. But I I do do that. I think if, if a lot of people tell you that, there, there's a grain of truth. <laughs> right. Even though I think, well, maybe you're not thinking about things enough, you know. Right. And I think that with some of the stuff I'm going through right now, I've tried to keep 
I've tried to keep every door of possibility open when Mm -hmm. it comes to the best way to solve any given aspect of the change that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And when you're leaving a lot of doors open at the same time for an extended period of time, it is exhausting. Uh Uh-huh. It is Uh very exhausting. Uh Uh-huh. You know, that's funny because back when we first started talking about doing this podcast, uh, which was like last summer, I think. um, It's been a while now. I was at a place in my life where, like, things were kind of settling down with the kid. He's getting older. He wasn't so reliant on me all the time. And then um, I could start picking up my hobbies again and start figuring out, okay, who am I now that I'm both a mom and a person, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. At, which is... Still human. Yeah. Still human. <laughs> right. Still need things outside of my children. Um, and I was like, well, fuck yeah, I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm going to, you know, at least try it because I can say no later. And a lot of the things that I said yes to... I said yes to them because I was like, this sounds like fun. And if it works out, then it's going to be really cool. And if it doesn't work out, then that'll take care of itself, which True. which has happened. Um, and this is the one of the things that has worked out and has become really cool. So um, I agree. I agree. Um, I was thinking something very similar last night that I feel like, man, I'm just doing all the things. And right now, all the things feel like a little bit too freaking much. Yep. Even though they are all by choice. Right. So I have had to think about... Yeah, what, you know, we, we, we both have some pretty busy weeks ahead, and, and fortunately <laughs> we are ahead, we, will, we will be ahead to some degree in our, in our episodes, yeah, yeah. so we'll actually be able to take a little bit of a break between when we're recording today and our next, the next time that yes. we record, which yes. we both desperately need. Yes. Um, and speaking of, uh, speaking of, of need... Yeah. Speaking of need, that's why we do this thing right. because we um because people people need help. Right. Um and we're all just kind of looking for a quiet place. We are all looking for a quiet place. <laughs> and by gosh darn it, that happens to be the movie that we chose. Good setup, Tamara. Thank Tamra. you, John Krasinski, yes. for making us a, a quiet place. Although I don't know if we're quite looking for the quiet place. Oh, no. that they, theirs was not quiet by choice. Oh, Jesus, no. No. <laughs> um, so, um, we have a letter. Yep. Um, we have a letter. Um, we will read it. We will do some quiet place plot summary, and then we will touch on why we chose this movie mm-hmm. for this letter, and then do our our general discussion thing that we do. Nice. So, do you want to read the letter? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, dear final girl, my mother has been a source of stress and chaos throughout my entire life. 
She's mentally ill. Three separate therapists have suggested that she has borderline personality disorder. There's nothing wrong with a lot of people with BPD. However, if untreated and self-medicated, can become quite destructive to themselves and their loved ones. She is also an alcoholic who has suffered several concussions during her horseback riding days. She is verbally and physically abusive, manipulative, and loves to fight with people. I love my mother, and it's always so hard because there's a very, very thin layer of our relationship that walks a very fine line. The line can be easily crossed if I don't do what she says, if what she, if she wants something. Since the birth of my daughter, I've set up several boundaries with her. We have conversations on the phone that are pleasant, and my feelings toward them are desperately wanting my mother to approve and love me, and also knowing that at any moment I could burst the bubble and become raptured in a fight with her that will have consequences because she still lives with my dad and little brother. When we are fighting, it's like war to her. Nothing is off limits and she will go as far as she needs until we just surrender and bow down to her. She doesn't talk to her sisters or mother and that puts great stress on me because I have to pretend that I don't either, even though I visit them and have a great relationship with them. She doesn't talk to my BFF from high school, so I have to pretend I don't either. It's just easier that way. All the lying and tiptoeing has me exhausted, and it's so stressful every time she calls. I feel like she has a motive. She's constantly manipulating me, not to mention all the years of abuse that I have to swallow and pretend didn't happen. How can I walk this line without stressing myself to a point that is unhealthy? I do yoga and meditate and that helps, but it doesn't stop that sinking awful feeling and the emptiness from not really having a mom. Any advice would help. Thank you. Anonymous. So we are, we're, we are, we're saying we're choosing anonymous, um, because, uh, we want to make sure 100% that the person who submitted the letter is okay with their identity Mm -hmm. being public. So Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that, um this individual um will be but we just we want to make sure first right um so that was just a doozy of a letter my <sighs> heart went out mm-hmm. so much to, to her I'll, I'll say her yeah and thank you so much for sharing your story because uh that can't be easy to it's one thing to know that all of these things are going on, but it's a totally different thing to put them down in words um, and share them with other people. So, And I think this is the second letter that we've received. The other was from Kim. Mm-hmm. No, Kim, only Zool on Twitter, <laughs> whom we love dearly. Um, where the letter itself seems like a catharsis. Yeah. The letter itself, the act of writing it, is a, a, even if just for a brief moment, a purging of all of this stuff Mm -hmm. that we carry around with us all the time, which really kind of ties into how we started out the episode. Right. You're carrying a lot of stuff. I'm carrying a lot of stuff. Some of it literally. some (laughs) of it literally in the front of your body. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Specifically um, inside my uterus. Yes, specifically. (laughs) And everyone is. Um, There is a great quote, um... 
basically says, like, be kind. Every one of us is fighting our own private war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we we are walking around carrying family of origin stuff, mm-hmm. our own, how that has played out into our adulthood, the 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 things that have been motivated by our own choices in life mm-hmm. once we have become adult and independent. And some of us just, yeah, if you do, if you're just thinking all the time, then it's, it's, it's always there in some yeah. way. One um, of those things can be, yeah, there's always something to ruminate on. That is absolutely true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. And if it's not something from today, it like my my secret sauce is something from, you know, 15 years ago that nobody remembers but me. Uh, specifically this week, I was remembering how in fourth grade I was so scared. I had just moved to a new school. Mm-hmm. I was so scared to ask the teacher because I was at computer time. And I was so scared to interrupt the teacher for uh, to ask to go to the bathroom that I just peed my pants right on the floor. And it was the end of the school day, so I just got my stuff and went home. And just left the pee on the floor. I'm sure everybody... It was right there by the locker, so I'm sure everybody knew, but... So nobody was in the room at the time? When I peed? Mm-hmm. No, everybody was in the room at the time. They were just all in front of me. Wow. I was just way at the back of the room by the lockers. Wow. And just, you know... Nobody ever mentioned it to me. No, like the teacher didn't mention it to me. That's good. I think the that's other kids good. never mentioned it to me. It's, but so I don't. You know, what's very it's that spotlight syndrome that. Oh, that's a really great. That I think that everybody knows. And right. I think that the spotlight was on me, but you know, maybe n- nobody ever knew. I don't know. Somebody who was in fourth grade with me, tell me. <laughs> next next reunion but I don't even like uh, we moved away from there offer her a glass of lemonade and right. ask her about it right exactly that is that is really that is really tough that is I cannot imagine adult Tamara uh, hesitating to take care of herself in any situation <laughs> but that, that is that is tough well you know like like we were just talking about trauma and change, which is itself a type of trauma, can change things about you and yeah. make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Anyways, enough about me and peeing my pants. It's not the last <laughs> time I've peed my pants in public. So we did, as we mentioned, <laughs> as we mentioned, we did we did choose a quiet place mm-hmm. for the episode today. Let's, yeah, so tiptoe was the key word. And having to take extreme care in a situation that rep- that presents a lot of danger and active threat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what made us think of this. So let's do brief plot summary for A Quiet Place. I'll yeah. start that out. So when the film opens, we're, we're introduced that this is this is day eighty nine of something. <laughs> right, day eighty nine, and it becomes, you know, 
apparent very quickly that this is, you know, some sort of post-apocalyptic world. Something has mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. People are living. People are living with the after effect of some sort of devastation. Right. Everyone is. No one's making a sound. Everyone has to be exceptionally quiet. We're introduced, and by everyone really who I mean is we're, we're introduced to this family. Um, the mother, the father, a daughter, and two sons. Mm-hmm. And they're, I can't recall if in the beginning of the film there is anyone else around. I believe that it's, it's just them. Yeah, it's just them. Um, we see them, I think, gathering supplies at a store. They're in a town that is, you know, for all you know, for all we know, completely deserted. Mm-hmm. And so we learn for, for whatever reason they they have to live in silence. They mm-hmm. have to live in silence in order to stay alive. We don't know why yet. Um, the youngest son finds a toy. And the toy makes noise. Mm -hmm. In this store that they're in, this like abandoned store, he finds a toy. Sets it off. The father removes the batteries, I believe. Like, you know, we Mm -hmm. we can't do this. We cannot make noise. Kind of fast forward. Oh, the daughter... Saves the batteries, I believe, so but that she, so that he, he can have his toy. She gives him the toy without the batteries in it, and okay. the little boy takes the batteries on his own. Okay. Ends up setting, ends up setting off the toy. Uh-huh. Then we find why it is that they have to be so quiet. Is the is one of the creatures revealed at that point? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So then we realize, like, okay, they're they're essentially under siege mm-hmm. by these alien creatures, who, if they hear you, will kill you. Yeah. And the slightest sound can set them off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the slightest sound will reveal your position to them, right. and you will die. Yeah. <laughs> you will die <laughs> fast, and you will die a very violent, horrible death. So the bulk of the movie is really them trying to remain a family and have a life, but having to live, having to live this way. Oh, and by the way, the mother is also, the mother of the family is also pregnant. Yeah. So you know that down the road, somehow some sort of silent birth is going to have to be. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I had a particularly silent birth where I I wasn't a screamer mm-hmm. and but I was still I still had to make noise and right. so watching that was really tough for me. Right. Oh, and the daughter is deaf with a cochlear implant. Yeah, one of their so their daughter is deaf has a cochlear implant um which comes into play mm-hmm. um because they <laughs> I, I, I rather than do like super detailed plot, we'll say that there are various. Let's just say this: at various points in the film, or at a point in the film, the family members become separated from one another. Yeah, the daughter goes off to 
pay her respects to her younger brother who has died to lay something at his, basically right. the place where he died. Right. Kind of to assuage her guilt, too. To, yeah, because she felt responsible. Right. Um, the father has taken the um, their other son to essentially teach him some survival skills. Mm-hmm. The main one being that you can use sound to mask your presence and use it as a survival tool. Um, the mother thinks that the you know the pregnant mother her 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 birth like the birth is approaching. Yeah. Doesn't realize the daughter isn't there. Um, she's you know she ends up giving giving birth alone in silence. They've set up a number of precautions. Right. Uh, there's our fall apart That's chair. You know, setting up a number of precautions so that she can safely have this child and ensure its survival without right. attracting the attention of the beasts. Right. She, um, what happens that she eventually has to set off, you know, in effect, the house alarm that alerts the rest of the family who are remote that, <sighs> hey, I'm in a dangerous situation right now and everybody's got to get their ass back home. This is... A major plot point that I haven't understood and maybe somebody out there on Twitter can tell me why the hell this happens but the steps down to the basement where the laundry is and in the house where everybody's bedroom is um, and also where dad's workshop is um, though they have um painted footsteps all, all through the house and all down those stairs to know where to step so it doesn't squeak. In the middle of one of those painted footsteps is a nail coming up through. That's right. Mom apparently doesn't know that it's there because she uh, catches the laundry on it as she's going up out of the thing. And then she puts her foot through the nail, like steps down onto the nail. So it goes through her foot and the picture of her now dead son falls on the ground and the glass smashes. Okay. And so, and this in, in this house, the door to the basement is wide open. The door to the front door is wide open so that they don't have to squeaking doors. Right. Right. So, she knows she's made this awful noise and that the aliens are going to come and she knows that she's in labor. So right. then right. she goes and, you know, pulls the lever that changes the color of the lights from white to red. Right. So the alarm system obviously is a silent alarm system. Right, it's right, a visual, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a visual system. Which works also, it does, it works because of the um, the aliens, but it also works because the daughter has to know, you know, and a, an alarm doesn't necessarily um, right, alert her because, because she she's is dead. dead. That is right. right. That is right. Ultimately, we do have the convergence of the rest of the family mm-hmm. back on the home. I'm going to super compress this. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and, um, and say that, Okay, over the course of the film, two two things to wrap up. Over the course of the film, 
we learn, although it takes a while for the, da- for the daughter to understand, that the feedback that occasionally comes off of her cochlear implants uh-huh. has the power to destroy these aliens. Yeah. Because the reason that they so savagely attack is that they are, they're so sensitive to any sound that it puts them in attack mode. Right. And they kill. <laughs> they seek and they destroy. Right. Um, so we, we learn, you know, as the viewer, as the viewer, we're like, oh, wow, she doesn't realize it yet. But yeah. when she gets feedback off these cochlear implants, they can kill, it can kill these aliens. She, and it's incredibly painful it, to her. Yes. Which causes her to turn it off at some points. Which right. Which is like, don't turn it on! No, ah! don't turn it on. We know. You'll, yeah. And of course, she does eventually realize that that, Okay, mm-hmm. I have the power here right. to help protect us, um, which, you know, I think is part of her healing process because she's carried this grief that she's been partially responsible for the death of her younger brother. Right. Um, so the, but they're, they're, I mean, the family is, is in peril. Ultimately, the father ends up sacrificing himself in order to save his children, save his wife, yeah. save his family. And he does that by screaming. Mm-hmm. He's learned from someone else that they, an, another survivor that they encountered in the woods, a man who lost his wife, mm-hmm. who was absolutely grief stricken and really just doesn't want to go on anymore. So the act of screaming is essentially an act of suicide. Right. He learns that from observing this man, and he does that himself at the end of the film in order to draw the the alien's attention away from his family toward himself so that they can they can get away into right. this, this world that is still a post-apocalyptic world where they're still <laughs> going to have to, yeah. you know, figure out how to continue to stay alive. Right. So... Yeah. Uh, so why? So yeah, we kind of talked already about why we chose this film. It's just that, just this, this, this tip, the tiptoeing, the right. fact that our letter writer is is her life situation is that she feels that she needs to tiptoe around her mother mm-hmm. because her mother is, you know, in in her own words. A pretty chaotic and destructive force mm-hmm. that um, you know just has negative effects on everyone in the family. Everyone in the family is in survival mode. Right. How do we? How do we negotiate what looks like a life in this situation? <sighs> Oh, that's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. And like as the letter says that if it were just her, if it were just the letter writer, it'd be one thing. But now she's got a daughter to protect that she doesn't want to bring into this similar situation. But also she can't just cut it off because her dad and her brother still live with mom. Right. So... If she were to anger mom in any way, if she were to draw down the wrath, then brother and dad would be effectively cut off from her. Right. And one of the things that struck me in the letter is the amount of the amount of hiding that she has to do. It's not only how to 
deal with her mother Mm -hmm. so that she can continue to have a relationship with her father and with her younger brother. But the other things that she has to hide, that she, you know, that she feels she needs to hide, the relationships that she has with other people, Mm -hmm. just to not, like, the hiding that has to happen, all the hiding that has to happen in order to really psychologically stay alive. Right. Stay alive. Um, And I really appreciate what, what she said. She, in the letter, she said, it's just easier. It is just easier Mm -hmm. to, to hide Mm -hmm. this stuff than to be open about it um, because of the negative consequences that it would incur. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that is a heartbreaking situation. Yeah. That is a heartbreaking situation. Yeah. I think that, um, there, there, there are multiple levels of hiding going on in the movie. Um, there is the, um, idea that they have to, you know, be totally silent, uh, but also that they can get behind these other things that mask them. So if they get behind the waterfall, which comes up a couple of times, the idea of a waterfall um, being sort of a, a curtain, in be- a curtain of sound in between them and th- these aliens. But there's also the deal where the dad uh, is hiding his work and trying to figure out the um, not only the weaknesses of the uh, aliens, but also trying to make that cochlear implant work. And he's not a um, he's not an auditory engine. I don't know who puts those things together. He's Maybe. not a scientist, but. Um, he's studying and he's taking parts from other people's, um, others hearing aids and things that they find along the way to try and make this work. Um, and so, you know, the multiple levels of hiding that are going on, I I think was a really good, uh, choice for this movie because the letter writer um has all of these multiple levels she can't have uh a relationship with her best friend from high school she does have i think a relation but she can't be open about it. right right so if like okay she has a new daughter right right and so that would mean that you either, like, for your baby shower, do you just not invite your mother? Do you not invite your best friend? Do you have two? Do you, like, oh, it's exhausting. It's yes. exhausting. And this gets to, this gets to another reason why we chose this letter, is when you have this really just almost impossible situation, what are the things that you do to adapt and yes. in the film, there were some of the things that were really heartwarming, like 
what was it with the Monopoly game? Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Where they they mod- I mean, they they did these modifications so that they could try. What did mm-hmm. they do? I can't remember. The, instead of so the dice all went on a rug that they were playing on, but then instead of like hotels and houses, they were using little pom poms. Yes. And then instead <laughs> of the. Um, you know, the pieces that you move around the board, they were using, like, little sequined patches. Right. Which was very cute. It, yeah. That was so It was cute. heartwarming. And it is, it is, the degree, the degree it, it's a good example. And I mean, this is, like, one of the heartwarming examples. Mm-hmm. There are so many examples in this, in this film of what this family, all of the things they have had to do to adapt, to stay alive in right. this situation. And you had mentioned earlier the painting around the footsteps mm-hmm. so that they know they know exactly where to step in order to not make a sound and not trigger right. the, this force. Right. This, this, and I'm calling it force in this situation for a very specific reason because I want to I wanna immediately relate it to this letter. Right. That's what we do. We create lives wittingly, unwittingly. Mm-hmm. In or which, even just piece by piece. Yes. Piece by piece where we out, we are, we're tracing our steps. Mm-hmm. We're outlining the paths that are familiar and necessary for us to take in order to adapt to whatever our situation is Mm -hmm. and you know we can definitely talk in this situation in the movie right they have to do these things they absolutely have to do these things if they want to stay alive in our lives the act of drawing our footprints making our paths we do come to critical decision points sometimes where we have to ask ourselves, can we keep tracing those same same footsteps? Mm-hmm. Can we still can we keep walking along those same paths and lines? Mm-hmm. Does it still work? And I think that while it's not explicit in the letter, I feel that our letter writer is, and she probably has had to do this all of her life, how long can this keep working? Mm -hmm. How long can all of these strategies that I'm using, Mm -hmm. how how long can they keep working until something's got to give? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) she just gave me the are we okay um no i was checking the letter because there was a so i i think that what you're describing the uh tiptoeing around what the letter describes and also what you're describing laurie um where we come where where we turn into um, and we talked a little bit about this with our last letter. We turn into an enabler little by little just because we want to 
because it's just easier. Right. Um, and the letter mentions therapists. Separate, three separate therapists have suggested that she has borderline personal, personality disorder. And uh, we have a mutual friend whose daughter was just recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And she's trying to help her live on her own and it's incredibly tough and incredibly draining and at sometimes you can be the hero and sometimes you will be the villain and my uh my question about the therapists is are these three separate therapists that our letter writer has gone to or that the mother has gone to? That is a great question. Because the letter writer has been, like, you're doing everything right. You're doing everything right for yourself, from what I hear, is uh, if you're going to therapy, fantastic. Keep going to therapy because you need somebody to hear about this. You're doing yoga and meditating and trying to maintain that sense of self um and the question is for me can you continue to live in this abusive relationship and what are the what are the um payouts you know is it, on the one hand, you may get cut off from, and okay, so what I, the reason, part of the reason that I say that this is an abusive relationship is the tiptoeing, but also because of the isolating nature of this. Right. That you can't talk to mom's mom or sister. Or you have to say that you don't. Right. Uh, right. You can't talk you to, to your You have to maintain silence. She is maintaining silence. Right. About so many active and good parts of her life. Yeah. That's, that is, that is, that's a big deal. Right. And so, well, the, the I think that what the letter writer is saying that is not, um, necessarily being said but the question that isn't asked here is sorry is what i'm trying to say the question that's being asked here is do i stay or do i go right and you just touched on this a moment ago and this is something i'm going through in my life i won't get into the details (laughs) but should i stay or should i go right and i've made that choice it was go. <laughs> right. And um, the there is... Every situation is temporary. Yeah. Pain. God. <laughs> every single one. Yep. Yeah. Nothing is permanent. Nothing, Nothing is permanent. permanent. Um, that might sound fatalistic, but I think mm. it's actually an incredible coping mechanism. Oh, God, Because yeah. <laughs> it helps you realize that... Um, when you're going through a when you're going through a difficult time, it isn't going to last forever. Right now, 
I want to introduce some nuances here. When you're sad, I want to broaden this back out Uh before I take it back. When you feel sad, it isn't going to last forever. When you feel happy, it isn't going to be, it isn't going to last forever. There's actually some comfort in that because, and especially with um, our letter writer, talking about meditation, Mm -hmm. then she probably knows something about the practice of letting things flow through you, letting those emotion states flow through you, Uh um, acknowledging them, and then allowing them to pass on their way Mm -hmm. um, because another different one is going to follow right on its footsteps. Now... Back to the letter. There are clearly, and we we have probably all had this in our life in some way, shape, or form. The circumstances of your life, certain difficulties can stretch on for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. So that's not to say that whatever the given circumstances are, that those are going to change and that they can be changed anytime soon. Right. So then, much like the family in a quiet place, you are, you must adapt. Mm-hmm. You must adapt. And one thing that I, I started to touch on but didn't finish is sometimes, and I am not, I am not telling this letter writer what to do. That's not, like, we're, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. we don't know her, we don't live her life. Right. And we are definitely not therapists <laughs> we or are not. doctors. And... Right. Sometimes you do, Some in, in my life I've had to make difficult decisions that caused a lot of pain in the interim, mm-hmm. but ended up having... A better long-term outcome. Yeah. And whether that's something that our letter writer would feel comfortable doing, you know, she does not want to lose contact with her father and her younger brother. Mm -hmm. I find myself wondering, how young is this younger brother? Please, God, let him be like 15 or something. Right, yeah. So he's... Three years and you're out of there. Right, right. But we don't know that. We don't know that. Um, but also, okay, younger brother can't make the choice now. Right. Right. Um, as far as we know, we we are assuming that he is at home with mom and dad because he is a minor. Right. Um, dad has made his choice. Dad has made his choice. I'm curious about Dad because just looking at this on paper, which we are literally doing because <laughs> yeah. we have a letter, right? it would appear he has enabled the situation as well. Yeah. yeah. He would... He would have to have, mm-hmm. um, but we we don't we don't know what his individual circumstances are, what his life was like, mm-hmm. what, you mm-hmm. know, what his coping mechanisms are. Right. But there's certainly everyone is locked together in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um. 
I have a different track to go down briefly, go but do you want anything more you want to Mm-mm. say about? Nope. So, what I want to say this up front, I'm gonna follow a, a train of thought that in no way is meant to equate this writer's mother with the monsters in the film. Okay. Even though we've been doing that. <laughs> I know I've been doing that. I mean, that I'm time. trying not to right, 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 suggest right. a one-to-one right. yeah, 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 yeah. parallel. <laughs> what I will say is in the film, there are these monsters. They are agents of chaos. Uh-huh. We don't know a lot about them, except to note they are, they cannot tolerate noise. They, they, they cannot tolerate that. Uh-huh. It is so, it is so, you know, just harmful to them. It is so, they, they just, they can't deal with it. So they lash out. Right. So it makes me think if, here I go, if we are equating, okay, if we are equating, you know, these monsters in this movie to our writer's mother, the mother is is constantly lashing out. Like I have talked to this, to the person who wrote the letter, I've had an additional conversation with her. Uh Uh-huh. The, the mother just lashes out a lot. She, and even in this letter, she loves to fight. Right. She is an aggressor. Mm-hmm. That's a part of her. If, if she does, in fact, have borderline personality disorder, that is a part of her condition. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask out, li- out loud. It makes me wonder, what is it about the mother's background and her upbringing mm-hmm. that essentially made her the way she is? Someone who creates chaos, who, if anything is a provocation, anything can be a provocation Mm -hmm. and result in attack. What, you know... Sounds like there was some sort of uh, uh, issue and or trauma or whatever that puts her on the constant defense. Right. And... I don't know enough about borderline personality disorder to know if it is seen as something that has a a biological, you know, like, for instance, bipolar disorder. Uh There's a lot of discussion about that, that being, that runs in families. Right. Same with addictive behaviors. Right. I don't know about borderline personality disorder. So I don't know like what the biological roots are for mm-hmm. her mother. Compa- but it's always nature and nurture. It's always like a it's, yeah. it's always a combination of things. It may not be 50/50, but it it could be close. Right. Right. But what I will also say is I am not implying in any way that it is the writer's job to understand her mother. Mm -hmm. She has probably been trying to understand her Mm -hmm. mother her entire life. And it is, it it is not her job to 
even make allowances. There is a certain point where everyone is an adult in this situation. Right, and you get to choose. Right. You get to choose whether you are the whether you allow this to affect you, whether you allow it to affect your children. Um, because I I'm going to assume that there are parts of the writer's personality that are a direct um a direct uh, consequence of this constant tiptoeing. Right. And then how are those things, for better or for worse, going to affect how she raises her own daughter, how that daughter raises her kids? You know, like the, the generational uh, effects of our behavior... Um, are something that we sh- gosh, hopefully we all have the ability to or the or the space to be able to think about. Right. And when it comes to choice, very rarely do we make these once and done decisions. Right, right, right. right. It is. A million choice. I mean, I'm hyperbole is my strong suit. Yeah. Um, a million Your strong choi- guest suit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is a series of many choices every day, days strung together into weeks, months, years, decades, lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Strategies and adaptations that work on a particular day may not be the best for another day. And we make those calls in a moment. You, part of the Mm tiptoeing, our letter writer is probably so finely calibrated to her mother's, the subtleties of her mother's mood. When I think of what she is having to manage, Mm -hmm in continuing to have a relationship with her mother. Um, I just, like, I I want to pour, you know, it's, I want to pour so much strength toward her. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's a concept that we are vessels, mm-hmm. that we, the help and the love and the support that we give to other people, um, is is ideally we remain an open channel and vessel for if you believe in this the powerful energy of this world this universe to flow through us we live as people through whom Mm -hmm. love and support can flow not only to ourselves but others who are in need and i absolutely want to do that (laughs) for Um, for, for the amazing woman who wrote this letter. Yeah. Oh, it's been a really heavy, um, heavy conversation. Um, I think that there are some, 
uh, I think one of the things that this movie really highlights, though, is that the family is able to find these places of warmth and happiness within all of that. Um, the fact that they even got pregnant. Right. That's that's an act of hope. Yes. Uh, and so that, like, I think that this, this movie didn't scare me as much as I... Uh, initially thought it would because I am I am pretty susceptible to sort of like the creeping creature jump scare thing but it like the the introduction and it's you know a few minutes into the movie but the introduction of the mom being pregnant in on day 472 <laughs> um, was like okay there's hope they lost a child, but they're going to try and make another one. Right. You know, and uh, I wrote down Neil Young because there's that point where mom and dad are in the basement. Dad is down there trying to fix the cochlear implant. They've had dinner and played Monopoly. No. No. Sorry, they haven't uh, played Monopoly yet. Maybe they did. I don't know. Whatever. Uh We've seen fires on other hillsides coming up, like the, it reminded me of in Mulan, the Great Wall of China, where, you know, they light the fires, the signal fires, um, but this seems to be like peacefulness and, hey, we're all out here too. Um, and, and then, okay, so dad's down in the basement trying to fix the cochlear implant and mom comes down with her headphones and... They dance to this, like, sort of warbling Neil Young song. Harvest Moon. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to cry just thinking about that oh, song, gosh. darn it. <laughs> I'm glad we're at the end of it. It's such a lovely, warm song. <sighs> and it is such a strong example of how you can have these amazing moments, you know, whether with your, you know, to yourself, with other people, even when there's a lot of chaos swirling around you. And that's yeah. kind of, I hate to put it in these terms, but for whatever reason it came to me, it's kind of our jobs as humans on this planet to figure out how to have those moments. Right, right. Because, you know, by God, if we can control all of the negative external circumstances, we can't. Right. I mean, if we thought about all of the stuff in the world that is terrible, that is completely beyond our control, that's happening along on other continents. Mm -hmm. If you thought about, I mean, you would just want to curl up in the fetal position. Yeah. You really would, yeah. but we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you can take a break from Twitter. You can, <laughs> and you can do you can do child's pose and yoga, which is pretty close to the fetal Jeez. position oh and feels God. pretty darn good. My, my child sleeps like that every night. <laughs> oh, that's um, so sweet. Yeah, so I think that the ending of the movie is so incredibly hopeful. And did I read that they are thinking of doing a, a second version of it? it or comes, a sequel? The sequel comes out in March. Oh shit! Okay, so it comes out in just a, just a few weeks from now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but the what was so incredible to me was 
the little girl figures out that her implant has the power to at least stun these guys and make them stun these aliens and give them uh, a chance. Yes. Right? And then they have to shoot one, which brings down, like, they can see on the video cameras all yeah, all of the um, aliens coming down the hillsides and, like, coming their way. And the last scene of the movie is the mom pumping the shotgun. Like, it, it reminded me of Evil Dead when he, like, sticks the thing on his... <laughs> yes. Is it Evil Dead or is it the next one where he sticks the chainsaw on his hand? I can't and he's remember. Movie. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, like, they're just, like... Fuck yeah, let's go. Right. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do this and we have the ability to overcome this. Right. Um and I think you know, there've been times since I've watched this movie where I've gotten up in the middle of the night and you know, and I've told you guys before, this that's my time where like the the scary movies come and uh, haunt me. Uh, I don't know that I can watch Doctor Sleep. I read the book. But I don't mostly know. Mostly come at night. Mostly. <laughs> Remember that from Aliens? The little girl. It's been a long okay. time since I've seen <laughs> Aliens. Um, but, yeah, there's that scene in Doctor Sleep <laughs> where you know, the dead people in the bathtub. I saw the movie. I haven't read the book. Oh, okay. And as people who listen to the show will probably readily know about me i forget plot points really easily (laughs) it's kind of staggering really but but so anyways um i haven't felt that way about this book or about this movie it has made me so incredibly hopeful i think the fact that the movie ends on such a high note Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's so hopeful um with the ability to adapt and the ability to really fight when it comes down to it. Right. And that you have, you have these capabilities Mm -hmm. that you may not know about that you can use to survive. Yeah. To survive. Yeah. So letter writer, please remember that. Please remember that. And I know that she hasn't seen this movie, so we would recommend watching this film. I think, I, I hope, I hope that the connections resonate as much for you as, as they did for us. Right. And um, everybody, you know, stay alive out there. Yeah. Thanks so much. We'll see you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are, people struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.